1: And I am coming to you live once again from my little studio beneath the stairs here in Old Thorn Hill, just north of Toronto. Open lines this hour. I welcome all comers. If you have a comment or a question about the quarantine and COVID-19, or if you'd like to talk about political intrigue or subterfuge, uh, UFOs, things that go bump in the night, the numbers to call in the Greater Toronto Area, 416-416. Three six zero zero seven forty four one six three six zero zero seven forty 0740 0740 and out of town toll free from just about anywhere One eight six six seven forty 740 740 4740 open lines this hour now, also this hour, Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network is standing by for a quick word about the U.S. Department of Defense, which I guess it was Monday of this week, so six days ago, released uh, three uh, declassified videos of unexplained aerial phenomena. We'll talk a little bit about that. These go back to the New York Times article in December 2017. They were re- they were released along. Uh, at, at that time, along with the article, uh, but they were, al- they were also released uh, prior to that, sort of unofficially. So we'll uh, we'll delve into that a little bit. Also this hour, I'm going to introduce you to artist-illustrator Rick Forgas, uh, down in Arizona. Uh, Rick and I have been working together on some projects, and he has some news about my website, strangeplanet.ca. So if you visited today or yesterday you'll have noticed it looks completely different. I mean, absolutely completely different. We have done a complete overhaul and redesign, and Rick uh, will be here to uh, tell us a little bit about that. But also, it turns out, Rick Forgus has an interesting story to share about his uncle, who was a sheriff in Spring, Texas, back in the 1940s or 50s, his uncle Charles Forgus, And the Roswell UFO incident. So, Rick Forgus uh, will be here with us probably towards the bottom of the hour. And as well, of course, we'll work in your phone calls. Uh, And again, at this hour, open lines 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto area. And toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Coming up in the second hour, scientist-entrepreneur Chris Burris returns to the program along with filmmaker Patty Greer to discuss the miracle molecule carbon 60, or at least the consumable form of carbon 60, ESS 60. This is the formulation that was used in the 2012 Paris study that doubled the lifespan of test rats. And uh, Chris and Patty were with me several months ago. They'll be back with a quick update. They're doing a new um, animal study or mammal study. Carlos Cagina is my technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And yes, we are live streaming on YouTube tonight. My YouTube channel is, of course, Strange Planet. And I think we are just a handful, an eyelash away from hitting the magical 20,000 subscribers mark. So please uh, like it and hit the sub button there. Uh, Okay. So on Monday, as I mentioned, the... Department of Defense formally released three Navy videos that contain unidentified aerial phenomena. Enthusiasts were encouraged, though there doesn't seem to be a whole lot new there, but we'll find out. The Pentagon said it wanted to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating for a number of years was real. The videos, as I mentioned earlier, had already been leaked first in 2007 and then in 2017. Two were published by the New York Times, while the third was leaked by an organization co-founded by former Blink-182 singer Tom DeLonge. After they were first leaked, some people claimed the videos showed alien-identified flying objects. Victor Vigiani is the executive director of Zeland News Network and Zeland Communications. You can go to Zland communications.blogspot.com Communications.blogspot.com, where you'll get the the latest and finest news and opinion on ufo disclosure victor how are you just fine richard and it's great to be with you again okay likewise thank you for coming on so Mm -hmm. uh, as i mentioned we have now the pentagon sort of officially responding to these three videos Uh, that were released in in 2007 and 2017. We had earlier this year, we had the U.S. Navy commenting on them. Uh, And basically they've said, yes, these are legitimate. These are not hoaxes. Uh, So what's new here? Why is this news? Now the Pentagon is basically officially acknowledging, yes, uh these are these are legitimate. They are unidentified.
2: Well what's new is the fact that um we now have two agencies that are in lockstep with one another. That that is something that is that is relatively new. Um, the the Navy doing what it did uh back, back in 2017 after the uh New York Times article was published Um, authored by uh, Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal and Helen Cooper, it began sort of a a cascade of information that was really unexpected. Uh, No one really had any idea that this was coming down the pipe. And it sort of sat in the doldrums for a little bit. Uh, It it was picked up by news agencies as a bit of a wow. And as is always the case, or usually anyways, with stuff related to UFOs, it's, uh, it's run up the flagpole and uh, it's given its own time and uh, on the air and radio, television, commercial, so on and so forth. And then the flag goes down again. Uh, it just sort of, it makes, a, it, it peeks its head out of the hole and then it goes back without any, any real substance or, or any real kind of large discussion. And this is part of the news cycle that happens all the time. And it's sort of submerged for a while. And then all of a sudden we get a thrust of information uh, from the Two of the Stars Academy, as you mentioned earlier, that they had a way of figuring it out. And we don't know exactly uh, how it happened, but they knew insiders within the Pentagon that they wrenched loose some of this information. And it was in video form. And the really puzzling thing is, how did the Two of the Stars Academy do it? We really don't have an answer to that question as to who they knew and how they were
1: going to figure out how to get this information out. And that. We should uh, Victor. Sorry for the interruption. We should just remind people first of all. The the video in question, which right. is widely available online on YouTube, right. etc., but there may be some not familiar with it. and And uh, the 2004 uh, footage, I believe, was a, a gun camera footage from an F eighteen belonging hmm. to the U.S. Nimitz Carrier Group off the coast of San Diego. Right. And this was the the now famous Tic Tac uh, UFO uh, footage, where they captured a number of these crafts, and they they resemble Uh, Tic Tac candies so they were called white and smooth and oblong and uh, you can you can hear the commentary from the pilot as he's capturing this video footage and uh, so that was from 2004 that was released sort of in concert with the New York Times December 2017 article you mentioned which first uh, sort of identified this secret UFO study group within the Pentagon called ATIP, the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Project.
2: Right. Yeah, the, the, the video that was captured that you're referring to uh, basically was given credibility by uh, the F-18 pilot, David Fravor. And also, uh, and in another individual too, his name is, is, uh, is Kevin Day. He was the uh, radar operator who first identified these things four days before the FAVOR incident, uh, and he described what he saw in his uh, radar, which is the Aegis radar system, an extremely complex radar system on these battleships that are in the uh, in the Pacific Ocean, and what what they saw and what he says. Is up to twelve of these things were initially seen moving all around the sky, and then it developed into hundreds of these things moving around in organized fashion. And right. that's when he uh, that that's when he kind of uh, suggested that we intercept these things, or at least try to. And from that point on, it gets really bizarre. because what occurred the pilots saw, anyways, they saw objects at sixty thousand feet, and this is corroborated by uh, by Day's testimony also these things are at 60,000 feet and then within 0.78 seconds they're 50 feet above the water sur- surface and that estimated speed would be about 24,000 miles an hour which is uh, about 10 times the the speed of sound so what they had is a completely anomalous uh, video of these things to begin with and second of all they had no way of describing these things because There was no precedent set in terms of what kind of technology that these pilots knew of or that anyone in the Navy knew of. And that led them to say to themselves, this is technology that we do not recognize. That was the first step in the Navy saying what it did after all this
1: stuff came about. Now, the Pentagon, have they, in addition to acknowledging that this video, this is real, in other words, they're not saying that these are alien craft. They're simply saying, right. yes, this is actual video f- taken by a, a Navy pilot. But but did the Pentagon talk about whether they they consider these these um, these uh, UAPs or unidentified unidentified aerial phenomena? Whether they consider them to be some sort of a threat? Whether they are worried about them, an incursion into U.S. airspace? Uh, Did they have anything to say about these?
2: Well, it's always been the position of the United States military that these, whatever these objects are, uh, are definitely uh, in, uh, in sort of violation of airspace. That's the first thing that the all military um, agencies have admitted before. You know, Malmstrom Air Force Base uh, with the nuclear weapons and, and all of that. So they they do consider these things a violation of their airspace. In their statement, they, they never really alluded to that. They never really said anything about uh, whether they were hostile or not. But the assumption is by a lot of the critics and by a lot of the people who are falling in line to say what these things might be, that that's where this whole alien or the hostile alien incursion threat comes from. And also, too, the uh, the Tip program it says it right in there. It says It is a threat. So, one of the reasons why they began the ATIP program was to investigate whether or not these things were a threat, and that's where Senator Harry Reid comes in, in his right. uh, attempts to bring about a funding of $22 million for the ATIP program, I think beginning in, in 2007 and supposedly ending in in 2012, and three other senators backed up this information in terms of getting this stuff uh, to a special access program, Black Budget, with no debate on on the floor of the Senate. So all of this kind of falls in line with, I guess, they wanted to proffer this stuff as as a possible threat or possible uh, hostile actions by these craft. Now, why are they going to do that? Well, the one big reason that most people give is that, well, if we can define these things as a threat, that gives us a really good opportunity to pump more money into the military to protect uh, our sky because well, the United is, States it, government does,
1: yeah. Is there anything per- interesting to you uh, regarding the timing of this? Because it's been, what, now two years and about mm-hmm. four months since the December 26, 2017 New York Times article. Why now? Why, why this particular date in time? Well, that's something that uh, a lot of people have been discussing.
2: Uh, there are a lot of uh, theories about that, i have my own uh, but the other theories could be that because of what we're going through right now with this pandemic that it's sort of a perfect cover to throw something out to the public just throw them a bone and see if uh, see if it works and and hopefully because of the gargantuan and catastrophic implications of this pandemic that will go this whole thing will just go pretty much unnoticed that's that's one theory um, the The other thing is, will the public eventually become so involved in this or become so um, enamored by what this stuff really is in terms of technology? Will it in fact bring about a new understanding that we have three agencies the Pentagon, uh, i guess the Department of Defense the navy uh, and the and the um, other other military agencies too that they are at a point now where they just literally. Do not know what, and what I feel is that because they don't know what to do, Richard, they've released this stuff in a way that it makes people wonder uh, amidst all of the other problems that we're having, and then once and for all dismiss it. And that's what I think that uh, the timing really is for me. They throw it out there, and eventually, people are just so busy with stuff that's going on in their own lives right now that it's being just. so the timing in my mind is almost perfect for what uh for what their intentions are that that's my assessment
1: it's because it, it's going to get lost in the the news cycle and then all the coverage about the pandemic so people well, are so well, preoccupied with that yeah well look at it from the point of view
2: of what's really going on if in fact act this thing is as real as it is And the news agencies are doing what they are doing right now. CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC, all of the major networks, every single major newspaper has covered this thing in one way or another. But is the question is, is there any large discourse, dialogue, conversation about this? The answer to that question is no. In spite of all the information that's coming out, It's almost a ho-hum, Richard. Nothing is really being talked about. So if you want to develop a scare scenario or a threat scenario, it's not working very well because nobody's talking about it. The general public are pretty well apathetic about the whole thing, given whatever reasons, be it the pandemic or other reasons, there's really no point to what the news agencies are doing because it's not getting a reaction. Nobody in Congress is talking about this. Nobody in Parliament is talking about this. You get the odd uh, report on on, on CNN here and there, but there is no large-scale discussion about the biggest story in human history. Now, I find that really incredible, and I find it very hard to believe.
1: So do you think now going forward it's going to be easier for U.S. Navy pilots or other uh, Air Force pilots to start talking about this Publicly? Yeah, I, th- yeah, I, I think uh,
2: the, the Navy did a couple of things. First of all, you know, they released uh, their videos with w- the three videos that were there. And not only did they release the videos, Richard, what they did do is they changed their policy from keeping all pilots in, cl- in close rain, in v- very, very tight rain, forbidding them to talk about the whole encounter um, scenario of UFOs or UAP, whatever you want to call them. They've completely done a 180 degree turn and they've allowed their pilots not only to report these things to their superiors, but they're allowing the pilots to talk publicly about that. And that is something that is absolutely earth shattering. Even commercial pilots for the major airlines don't don't allow uh, their pilots to do this. So for the Navy to begin a process whereby their pilots can actually come out and talk freely about that, that's a huge step. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, I think it means that you're going to have a cascade of pilots within the Navy and possibly other military agencies saying, listen, I'm seeing these things all the time. And from any discussions that we've ever had with anyone regarding what happened back in in 2004, this stuff is happening virtually every single day. So how many pilots will, will be coming forward about this if this freedom
1: is allowed? That's true. That's very, we'll we'll have to watch very quickly because most of the attention gets placed on the tic-tac video from 2004 from the Mm -hmm. USS Nimitz fighter group. But the, the other ones I believe were off the coast of Florida. Was it the USS Roosevelt uh, carrier? We don't hear so much about those. I I don't even know if I've seen those videos. If, if uh, just in a, in a couple minutes, if you could just explain what, what we would see on those videos. Well, what you're seeing is is uh, some
2: very similar behavior. One of the one of the um, the accounts of one of the pilots that uh, that, uh, that that were sort of speaking about this, he described it as a ping pong ball hitting a wall. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you know what a ping pong ball is, and you throw it at a wall, and all of a sudden it hits the wall and it comes back in the opposite direction without uh, without any kind of uh, halting motion at all. just literally stops and bounces back. And what we see there is, uh, 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 I guess, a, a flight maneuver. That if there is some kind of being inside of that particular craft that it stops instantaneously at high speed and then reverses course automatically, whatever, whatever being is inside of that is going to be exposed to excruciating g forces. So there must be some sort of technology involved if these things are not from here that allows these craft to um, to perform these kind of ping-pong ball maneuvers. And I think that's one of the things, one of the characteristics that
1: that um, example shows. Now, in the case of the USS Nimitz, there were reports from the pilots that uh, a black helicopter, mm-hmm. a bit of a cliche, but it was a black helicopter landed on the Nimitz and mm-hmm. Uh, within minutes really, um, despite the fact that I think they were about a hundred miles off the coast of California, Baja California, this helicopter appeared out of nowhere, basically absconded with the the the, uh, the footage in the radar um, tapes or whatever they're they recorded on, and flew off. Uh, were there any such were there a similar situa- was there a similar situation on the Roosevelt? Did did a mysterious helicopter show up and take the footage? Not Not that we
2: have any reports of the one you're referring to uh, is by the radar expert Gary voorish, and he was very descriptive in his uh i guess assessment that all of the data that was on the uh, the recordings was absconded with and erased. Uh, we have no information at this point that anything uh on the Roosevelt was absconded with or erased or. Or, or data eliminated that there's no information about that but gary Voris is extremely specific about his uh the demands placed on him to handle for everything
1: all right victor well we uh we will wait i guess for the next word from either the pentagon or the navy or perhaps another article from the times maybe something from tom DeLong, another another leak of a video uh we, we'll, we'll have that to look forward to hopefully in the next couple of months. Always a pleasure, Victor. And again, the website is where they can read the uh, the news on UFO Disclosure, com. Thank you, my friend. You're most welcome, Richard. It was a pleasure being with you again. All righty. When we come back, artist-illustrator Rick Forges from Atomic Werewolf Studios down in Arizona with a few words on my website and his uncle, the late Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Charles Forgus and his possible involvement in the Roswell UFO incident of 1947. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. That's right. Yes. Open lines until the top of the hour. And uh, we can uh, field questions, comments on just about anything. If you want to talk about the quarantine and uh, or COVID-19, if you want to talk about geopolitics, political subterfuge, intrigue, conspiracies, UFOs, uh, then we make the phone lines available to you now at 416 360 0-740 in the Greater Toronto Area, 416-360-0740, and toll-free from out of town, well, just about anywhere, really, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740, 740 4740 Coming up in the second hour, uh, Chris Burris and Patty Greer will be here with an update on Carbon 60, or at least the consumable form of carbon 60, ESS-60, and uh, this is a, a powerful um, antioxidant that was used in a um, an animal study back in 2012. It's called the Paris study. The rats were fed ESS-60, suspended on olive oil, and it doubled their lifespan, doubled their lifespan. And uh, Chris will be here. Uh, they are now, I believe, in the midst of a new animal study. Uh, They're going to try to repeat, uh, you know, with experiments, they have to be repeatable. So we'll see what happens. All right. I want to introduce you to uh, a friend of mine. Uh, We met on uh, Facebook, uh, I guess, about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now. And he's a a very talented uh, illustrator, artist, uh, graphic designer, and he has... Uh, well, we work together, sort of, but he's he's really the uh, the talent behind the operation. Uh, if you go to the website strangeplanet.ca, uh, he has done a complete overhaul, and I just I wanted to bring him on for a few moments to talk about that, to introduce you to him, to tell you what's going on with the website, kind of walk us through it, a, a little tour. So, if you want to log on now, if you're listening and you're you're near your computer, just go to strange dot.ca, and in the meantime, we'll we'll welcome Rick Forgus to the Conspiracy Show. Rick, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great,
3: Richard. Thank you so much for having me on, buddy.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great pleasure to have you on. And you're down in uh, in the Phoenix area in Arizona. Yes. And uh, it's it's Atomic Werewolf Studios. That's the name of the uh, well, your 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 business really, your illustrating and and graphic design business.
3: Right. Exactly. And you po- have a new yes. and
1: you have a website as well. You w- give us your website.
3: I think go to uh, atomicwerewolfstudio.com and you can find all my work.
1: All right. And if people go to strangeplanet.ca right now, uh, you just first of all, you've done a marvelous job. It's it's oh. streamlined. Everything is on one page. There's no more landing page where you have to go to the radio show. You just scroll down and the banner stays at the very top. Uh, just give us a little tour here.
3: Well, I, you know, in talking to you, I think what I've learned is that you have a lot of information to share. You are a busy person. And as we talked, we were able to create a site where everything is, as you said, is concise and it's organized. You can catch up on your shows, any information or news appearances. Uh, we have a direct link to the apparel shop with, you know, uh, quite a bit of, a, of, uh, uh, apparel and uh, sundries.
1: Uh, we'll we, should, the- we should point out, excuse me, Rick, but we should point yes. out that you also did the design on all yes. of the, uh, the, the, all of the merch in the strange planet shop, the t-shirts, the mugs, the phone cases, the socks, the leggings, the hoodies, the sweatshirts, You did all <laughs> those designs. I mean, I, I, we kind of shared some ideas, kicked some ideas around, but you did the, the actual artwork and they're beautiful.
3: Well, thank you. But we certainly worked on them together. Uh, there's so many of them were your ideas, uh, not to mention the full script dispensary pages now up and running, and you can find uh, whatever you'd like as far as your supplements.
1: right, right. You can just click on any product and it'll take you uh, right there yes. that 's the full the strange planet full script dispensary. You mentioned the appearances, so if people want to see where else i 'll be appearing. so for example, uh, on coast to coast, uh, right. you can get my, my latest dates there there's also the list of affiliates. Uh, there's a link to the uh, the podcast, but if they just scroll down, if they go to strangeplanet.ca and scroll down, everything now is on one page. It's so yeah. easy to it's yeah. so easy to navigate.
3: Yes, I think that's what's been so nice about this redesign is you. Like I said, you have a lot of information to share, and now it's all in one place, under one header, and you can just find anything you want.
1: Exactly strangeplanet.ca. And also those little uh, those little uh, comic panels at the top uh, <laughs> where you see me tracking Bigfoot or you see me watching uh, aliens disembark from a UFO or there's yeah. me at Stonehenge. All those illustrations, you did those as well. And I get so much positive feedback oh, great. Uh, about those.
3: Great. Thanks, Richard. Yes, those were great fun. Happy to do those.
1: <laughs> All right. Now, I have to ask you, um, this is... Quite remarkable, you know. We, you reached out to me, you know, just wanting to say hi. Uh, what, maybe a year and a half ago, maybe a little right. longer on, mm-hmm. on Facebook. Right. And oh, we should also mention uh, uh, Colleen, your lovely bride, Colleen yeah. For, uh, Forgus. Is she's the the uh, the nutritional, the nutritionist and the uh, the manager at the full script Dispensary. I almost forgot to mention that. Oh, very good. That's right. Uh, so so you reached out, and then it turns out. Uh, that you have a possible <laughs> connection to the Roswell UFO crash, tell me about your your late uncle Charles Fargus or Forgus jr. rather Charles forgus jr
3: Yes, well, uh, it was interesting. I received a call late one night in two thousand and seventeen, uh, and the gentleman on the phone, his first words were please don 't hang up on me. I would like <laughs> <to> dis- <laughs> okay uh, I would like to discuss your uncle 's ufo encounter and i said well i certainly won't hang up because i would love to discuss that too because i have never heard of this and it turns out he was an investigator from mufon in new jersey and he related the story of uh, my uncle ch's encounter with a uh, a ufo recovery
1: and your uncle was at that he was a sheriff or a deputy sheriff, I think, in was it Spring, Texas?
3: In Big Spring, yes, he was Big a uh, deputy sheriff. Right, right, my hometown,
1: Big Spring. And so, as uh, as I'm reading the description, the sort of the transcript uh, mm-hmm. from this Mufon investigator, right? He um, he believes, or or at least your uncle related to him, and your your uncle passed away in 2001. Right. That that he and he was the deputy sheriff, and the sheriff, another yes. gentleman. Yes. We're on their way from big spring texas to uh-huh. to roswell to pick up a prisoner is that right?
3: right that is right and it was actually in 1953 so it wasn't even the original roswell crash from
1: 47 ah. it was a, a completely separate incident it wasn't roswell okay so exactly. they're driving along the highway to pick up a prisoner right. in new mexico mm-hmm. and what did they see what did your uncle see
3: Well, he mentioned that as they were driving along the highway, they were above a dry creek bed. And as they looked down, they saw a cylindrical object about 100 feet across, surrounded by military personnel. So they stopped and got out to look. And as they watched, they saw them loading what they thought at the time was bodies onto a truck. And then as a gust of wind is wont to come up in West Texas or New Mexico, he could see the bodies. Uh, he said they were about five feet tall. They were dark brown, large head, uh, overly large eyes and human looking feet.
1: And how many did he see? How many bodies? I believe he saw three, three, three. being loaded onto a truck by yeah. and and how many military personnel were, were on the scene?
3: Uh, he said there were quite a few. And to the extent that um, from one recollection, I read that they were actually told to move along um, and not repeat anything that they had seen.
1: And so, and you had never even heard about this from your <laughs> uncle. Did you know Who? your
3: uncle? Yes, we, I knew him well. Um, I mean, we weren't a real close family, but um, if you knew my uncle and the and uh, Sheriff Slaughter, they were they were serious people. This is not something they could even make up in their wildest imagination. That's that's why I believe it so wholeheartedly.
1: But did he ever mention it to you in all the years you knew him?
3: Never, I he never mentioned it, and I can only think that he wouldn't have because I, I think he would have just been ridiculed by all all his family. They would we just wouldn't have believed
1: it at that time. I wouldn't have believed it, perhaps, but I was very small then. But yeah. So 1953. So right. that that I mentioned Roswell. It definitely was not Roswell, which happened in 47. Right. So, I mean, it was
3: it was on the road to Roswell because that's where they were going to pick up the prisoners. So it was it was a a completely separate incident, but in the same area. This happened would have been uh, east of Roswell.
1: So Yes, in 1953. Fascinating. Right. Do you ever think about getting maybe doing some more research and trying to get to the bottom of that?
3: You know, I've done some Google searches, but I, I just haven't found very much about it. And um, I haven't been able to locate or talk to his children. I don't know if they even... Would talk about it. It seems the, the MUFON um, investigator had tried to contact them, but they refused to speak about it as well. Oh, these are your cousins? Yes, my
1: cousins. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. Well, next family <laughs> reunion, you must bring that up, uh, Rick. The fascinating story. We'll delve into it another time when we have more time. But uh, again, thanks for the great job at on StrangePlanet.ca. We're doing the official unveil right now. StrangePlanet.ca and uh, I hope people like it and uh, I look forward to their feedback thank Great. you my friend be well thank
3: you Richard talk to you soon
1: alright bye bye oh. Rick Forgus Atomic Werewolf Studios when we come back more open lines right here on The Conspiracy Show my name is Richard Sarrett.
0: Shaking the world and seeing what falls this is The Conspiracy Show
1: with Richard Serrett welcome back Coming up in the second hour, Chris Burris and Patty Greer will be here with an update on the miracle molecule, carbon-60, or the consumable form, called ESS-60. And uh, it is a mega-oxidant said to be 172 times more potent than vitamin C. And again, in the uh, now-famous 2012 Paris study, it extended the life of rats, the test rats, uh, well, they live twice as long, which is uh, quite remarkable. So we'll get an update from Chris Burris and Patty Greer uh, just after the top of the hour coming up here right now. Open lines until the top of the hour. And the number is to call again, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, toll free from out of town, one 740 4740 one eight 740 Let's go to uh, Michael in Long Island this evening. Michael, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
0: Oh, well, I guess not too bad. Uh, before I talk about what I want to talk about, uh, what, is there a Toronto station that Coast to Coast is on anymore?
1: Uh, it's been temporarily suspended, as far as I know, because of uh,
0: local coverage of uh, the pandemic. Oh, I see. So have to look forward probably... CKTV or WBEN in Buffalo or something like that.
1: Well, you might have to go. Yeah, you might have to go to the U.S. because I believe all of those stations in Ontario that were carrying it have temporarily suspended it. I'm doing the show from home, actually. I'm connecting also, directly with the LA you
0: don't have LA studio. You know, Robert Turner helping you out or something?
1: <laughs> no, no.
0: Okay, um, the topic uh, tonight is. Uh, I just heard recently on Coast to Coast, maybe like two months ago, I don't even remember, uh, the lady's name is Yvonne Casa, or and she's the one that wrote a book called Touched by the Light. The impression I got of that book listening to Coast to Coast was that they were all about near-death experiences. But the next day, we looked into that book, First of all, I got it from the CNIB. It's read by a a talker, a synthesized talker. It's more than just near-death experiences, you know, about visions and mystical experiences and meditation and uh, a lot of stories from her patient. So what do you say about that, or have you heard that interview?
1: I have not. um, I'm not sure who interviewed her, but, um, you know, I've done countless shows on not countless but so um, so many I've lost count uh, on on NDEs as we call them near death experiences both on this show I've done some on coast to coast I've done uh, many many shows on on past lives uh, although I think I've made it abundantly clear over the years I I do not subscribe to reincarnation it's simply not part of my I
0: uh my my
1: belief system
0: discussed yet in this book, and I don't necessarily agree with everything of this book, but uh, I, I found that uh, the book so far is about a lot more than just NDEs, or uh, that she had three near-death experiences in her life. Mm.
1: Was there anything in that book that resonated with you personally, Michael?
0: Well, I was just—I uh, <clears throat> I was uh, amazed at how well. Uh, I guess written that book is she's into everything from Clara Bowens to the one story that struck me was uh, um, this girl was uh, at a graduation uh, but after that she had a traumatic experience uh, where a fellow was driving her home and she got raped and as a result, she was trying to run away from him, but the Virgin Mary, after pleading with her, you know, came to her and took her by the hand and led her out of the woods. But there are other stories, too, about uh, uh, one other lady meeting some, uh, she's Roman Catholic, and she meets some, well, Oriental saint like creature or something like that. I forgot her name. She's supposed to be the goddess of compassion according to tradition.
1: Ah, okay. All right. And uh how about for you personally, Michael? Anything uh anything like that ever happened to you in your death experience, uh, a vision of some sort?
0: Well, her first near-death experience was up in an um what's it the Arctic Circle. I don't know if it was a near-death experience because the plane crashed back in 79 and uh, she was uh, almost frozen to death, frostbitten.
1: No, 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 about, about you you At personally, got, I
0: asked. Uh, got closer to death. She felt peace and uh, uh, be still and know that I am God and all that sort of stuff. She had a pretty boring church background and all that.
1: Okay, but how about for you personally, Michael? Have you had I've, one?
0: No, I've never you had know? a uh, near death experience. To uh, I'm still too skeptical of that.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Michael. Great to hear from you again. Stay well, my friend. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. We'll. Head into a break and take some more of your calls, questions and comments here on The Conspiracy Show before the top of the hour. And then on to the miracle uh, molecule carbon 60 in the second hour with Chris Burris and filmmaker Patty Greer. More to come right here on The Conspiracy Show.
2: You're listening to The Conspiracy
1: Show with Richard Serrett. All right, we are back. Open lines, ten minutes, and then uh, then we are on to other matters. So get it said. I'm I'm never sure when we'll have another opportunity for open lines. Uh, we can talk about the uh, the quarantine. When do you think it'll be lifted? And when do you think it should be lifted? What businesses do you think should open up before too long? I certainly um, have my opinions about this. I started tweeting probably close to a month ago about the need for at that time. About the need to form, and I was sort of directing my comments towards the uh, the premier of Ontario, and the need for an economic task force. And again, that was about a month ago. They should have been doing that at the same time. And and I'm 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 not telling anyone to be reckless. I'm not saying to go against any protocols. We have to follow the protocols. I'm just saying we need to figure out. They should have had an exit strategy. Very soon after the lockdown started, how are we going to start opening up the economy? How can we do this in a way that will mitigate risk, but at the same time, save our economy from going over the cliff? My greatest fear is not the virus. It is the potential for the irreparable harm we have done, not only to the provincial and the national economy, but the global economy. And my fear is that the cure is going to end up being far worse than the disease. Let's, let's not forget that if we head into a – if the United States, for example, were to head into a, uh, a deep depression, they would take the world economy down with it. And poverty kills. People will starve. Poverty will kill. I'm pretty confident in saying far more than the coronavirus and so what we need to do is ask ourselves um, how it is that essential services like grocery stores and banks and, and other places that continued to run during the lockdown, how did they mitigate risk? How did they ensure their employees and their customers were kept safe? It's, this is not rocket science. Certainly, other businesses can look at what the essential services are doing. And do the same thing. I'm not saying every business can open up, but we should have had an exit strategy far earlier. The moment we we started locking things down, we should have been asking ourselves: the the, the provincial government, the federal government, should have been bringing together business leaders, industry leaders, labor leaders, and 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 putting their minds together and figuring out how can we open up businesses. Now, in the United States, of course, they are starting to open up um, but if we head into a if we're not already there now, a worldwide depression where we could have serious disruption to certain supply chains, uh things could go south and um this is again, this is what keeps me up it's not the it's not the virus we can we can look to open things up while mitigating risk, but also, of course, yes, we need to protect the most vulnerable. And who are they? Well, by and large, they are people in nursing homes, retirement homes. They are people uh, with severe and several severe underlying health conditions. You can't, we can't continue to cower in our homes and expect to develop some sort of herd immunity because as soon as we finally go out, as long as there's one case out there, then it's going to go around again. We have to, it's like a war, right? We have to send troops out of the trench. And, and those people out of the trenches first, the youngest, the healthiest, those with uh, good immune systems, send them back to work, mitigate risk, open up businesses, but mitigate the risk. We can do both. We can walk and chew gum. Uh, Let's say hi to um, not. Oh, not Gordo. He's in a live chat. Not Gordo asks, will you, Richard, allow your children to get the COVID vaccine? Well, I don't expect to see a COVID vaccine anytime soon. And uh, I'm not happy about all of this talk about a mandated vaccine. I'm not saying I'm not suggesting people should not take the vaccine if they if they want, if it ever comes. But I have read that with a coronavirus uh, it does not induce the kind of immune response. It does not induce a a, um, a strong immune response. And so I have read a number of epidemiologists and immunologists saying that don't hold your breath for a, an effective vaccine for COVID. Because that type of virus does not elicit a strong immune system, uh, a, long, a strong uh, immune response. I would not be interested in a Bill Gates sponsored, mandated vaccine. If they were to introduce that into Canada, I would have to seriously think about relocating, quite yep. honestly. Now, Thinker in the live chat is asking for my thoughts on new gun control measures in Canada, which are currently being passed. Well, my understanding is that they have, uh, and this, of course, came in, um, in the wake of this horrible um, massacre, shooting massacre, in Prince, Nova Scotia, 22 dead plus the shooter, uh, right off the heels of that incredibly cynical um, opportunist move by the, uh, the government, to, by an order in council, by a cabinet decision, not even in front of parliament, putting it to a vote. Appalling, absolutely appalling. Uh, but my understanding is that they've walked back uh, on a lot of the uh, the measures that they were trying to institute, which was basically banning, in, in many cases, guns that are already illegal. Uh, so, you know, this never makes sense. This is just bad policy. It goes without saying. If you're going to uh, uh, punish law-abiding gun owners, the, the weapons in question uh, by the, uh, the shooter in Nova Scotia who was impersonating an RCMP officer, um, They were illegally obtained. Do you think gang members are going to stop using these banned weapons? No. They're going to take these weapons out of the hands of legal, conscientious, responsible uh, gun owners. This is always the way. It's just bad policy. It doesn't work. They know it doesn't work. Uh, It's pointless, but it's, uh, it's demonstrating action. And it's a very cynical ploy. Uh, But but I believe that uh, most of the more stringent measures they have since walked back because they got such a negative and overwhelming negative response. Coming up on the other side, an update on the miracle molecule carbon 16 with Chris Burroughs and Patty Greer. That's uh, next on The Conspiracy Show.